I don't know about you, but I find war history quite fascinating. I love to watch documentaries and read books about past conflicts and see how victory was won. And when I've, on the odd occasion, met people with combat experience, I've usually found myself dying to ask them questions. As a little boy, I met a man who was in his 80s, but he had been a GI in World War II. He'd served in the Pacific Theater, and in particular, he served in the Battle of Okinawa. You may never have heard of that, but it was a terrible, terrible battle. It lasted for 82 days. It claimed 300,000 military and civilian lives. An awful conflict. And as I listened to that man's stories, he would tell us about how he had to get down into a foxhole in the ground so that, he was, so that he was hidden, so that he had shelter, and he would fight out of the foxhole watching for the enemy to come. He also told us about how he saw the kamikaze pilots from the Japanese uh, Air Force deliberately flying their craft into American ships. And as I heard these things from him, I was absolutely enthralled, as a small boy would be. I respected him because of what he had done. He had faced down an evil enemy and he had lived to tell the tale. He had conducted himself wisely on the battlefield. He had made it through a terrible conflict with evil men. As we read in Proverbs chapter 24 this morning, we read Solomon's instruction about how to deal with conflict. You may not be overly familiar with the book of Proverbs. I know many of you will be. But I just say this because I recently heard a young person telling me that they find it difficult to read through the book. Because almost every verse or every other verse begins a new thought. It's not one long continuous narrative. It's not one long continuous argument. But it is a book that should be valued highly. Solomon is described in 1 Kings chapter 4 as being wiser than all men. And this book is a compilation of only some of the Proverbs that Solomon spoke. The scriptures tell us in the same chapter, 1 Kings 4, that he spake 3,000 Proverbs. But in this book of this Bible, you will only find around 900. So this book is a select compilation of all the wisdom that the wisest of all men ever spoke. And of course, Solomon, like all scriptural penmen, he wrote under the inspiration of God. So though you and I will never probably find ourselves in a foxhole or under enemy fire, if you are a child of God this morning, you will have to deal with evil men. You will, uh, and I will, face conflict here on earth because we are surrounded by evil and wicked men. In this chapter, we're offered wise counsel from God about how to deal with conflict. Look at the chapter and verse 6, please. Proverbs 24, verse 6 says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Let me encourage you this morning to give all your attention to verses 19 and 20, our text today, which puts in a proverbial form some heavenly counsel for earthly conflict. God's counsel in verses 19 and 20 says, Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Heavenly counsel for earthly conflict. First of all, God's counsel teaches us that sinners are often prosperous. Sinners are often prosperous. This text, verses 19 and 20, makes it very clear what kind of people are in view. 
they are called, first of all, evil. That speaks of those whose hearts are ruined, those people who are spiritually good for nothing. In the eyes of Almighty God, they cannot please Him. The text also speaks at the end of verse, uh, at end of verse 19 and 20 of the wicked. And that word speaks of those who are morally wrong, those who have broken the law of God and are sinners. Now that's very obvious. But what else can we tell? As we consider the, the truth that sinners are often prosperous, we can infer from this text that these wicked men, these evil men, are notable enough to cause the believer to fret because the verse 19 begins, fret not thyself because of evil men. It is usually in this world, it's usually ungodly men who are socially and politically prominent. Not always, but usually. And this kind of person, this notable prominent person, may give Christians reason to fret. And that word actually means to be angry. Let me give you a modern example. Take the North Korean regime. Probably the harshest persecutor of Christians in the whole world. Or so we are informed. They don't just persecute believers, they execute them. Open Doors UK's website states that approximately 50 to 70,000 Christians are held in the North Korean government's system of prisons and labor camps. And just, it's good to have a, a reference point, to have a sense of scale. 50 to 70,000 people is around four to five times the size of the entire Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster. That's an awful lot of people imprisoned and in labor camps because. They believe the Bible because they love God. In North Korea, Christians are viewed as the most dangerous political class of people. The most dangerous. Now, if you and I were suffering that kind of treatment, our natural response, many of us, would be to be angry. It would be to fret, because that's what the word means. We can also infer from this text, Proverbs 19 and verse 30, which says, Neither be thou envious at the wicked, that sometimes evil and wicked men may be prosperous enough to cause envy in the child of God. In biblical contexts, this prosperity might have been in military action, or it might have been in encouraging the worship of false gods, leading others astray, or it might have just been in their material possessions, their wealth, their success. They were doing well. And the believer would often, and still does often, struggle not to be envious of the success that wicked people have. It was no different for Solomon. He who had so much, he knew what it was to be envious at the wicked. Because he writes these words. Solomon was experiencing wicked and evil men in opposition to him. And he was sensitive to their wickedness and to their evil hearts. Now, our culture this morning is worlds apart from North Korea. We can't readily identify personally, at least I certainly can't, with what believers in that country are experiencing. No one here is in any imminent danger, I trust, of imprisonment for your beliefs. But we certainly are surrounded by evil and wicked men. And so we apply this to ourselves this truth that sinners are often prosperous by asking this question, have we got any sensitivity to the wicked? Have we got any sensitivity to wickedness? As Solomon did. Perhaps you do. Perhaps it grieves you. When wicked men seem to be getting whatever they want, whenever they seem to be passing laws that legislate for evil against righteousness, 
Perhaps you do what you can to defend the name of Jesus Christ in your own personal life. But perhaps this morning some of us are not sensitive to wickedness or wicked men. Because we've grown cold. Christians, I'm speaking to us. Some who claim Christ as Savior but simply aim in their actual life experience for maximum comfort. And there's always that temptation. The hymn puts it well when it says that some Christians seem to be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease. Well, our text proves that Solomon had a very keen sensitivity to wickedness and to wicked men. He was very aware of them. They grieved him. He had to struggle and to seek wisdom from the Lord to not be angry and to not envy them. And from his own experience... And the experience of others, which we'll see in a moment, he writes, fret not. Because true Christian conviction always brings conflict with sin. Holy people will be sensitive to sin. That is a fact. Solomon had a very good example at home in the matter of being sensitive to sin. His father, David. And yes, there were some failures in David's life, as as there, there are in all of our lives. But God did call David in Acts 13... A man after mine own heart. You think of David's sensitivity to sin. Think of that story, that true account of when he was just a young man, seemingly so underqualified for battle, not man enough to fill Saul's armor, but he was still the most ardent and the most strong defender of the name of God, the God of Israel and of his honor, that Goliath was blaspheming. That the Philistines were reproaching his God was something that David simply could not accept. It made him zealous. David said when he was challenged, is there not a cause? He was motivated by God's glory and he was sensitive to sin. And on that occasion, David was enabled by God to act decisively. The wicked man Goliath and the Philistine army who were for a little while definitely prospering. Israel was cowering in fear. That prosperity came to an abrupt end. The success was very quickly ended. But there were other times this morning, believer, when David was not enabled to deal with his enemies quite so swiftly. For example, with King Saul, there was no quick fix. And in the Psalms, David writes in many passages and shows us that he had to endure difficult and ongoing situations In which sinners seemed to prosper. Let me get one example. and Let's turn together please to Psalm 42. Psalm chapter 42. We see David confessing to the Lord and lamenting to God. The prosperity of a wicked person and wicked people. Psalm 42 and verse 10. Well let's read verse 9 and 10 please. I will say unto God my rock why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? David experienced the prosperity of wicked men. They verbally reproached him to his face. They mocked him and they said, Where is thy God? I don't know what you are experiencing this morning, but you may have experienced something like this recently. We all suffer conflict with evil and with evil men. And we must recognize, first of all, in order to deal with that conflict, that sinners often are prosperous. 
The scripture teaches this. We recognize, we must recognize, secondly, that saints must trust providence. Stay in the Psalms and turn back a few chapters to Psalm 37, please. Because after a lifetime of conflict, after a lifetime of dealing with evil men, David penned Psalm 37. And if you look at verse 25, you'll notice that this psalm was written in his latter years. Psalm 37 and verse 25 says, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. David is reflecting on his whole life's experience in this psalm. Now go and look at verse 7 and read down with me to the end of verse 9. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. David, as I say, who had a vast personal experience of conflict, some of which resolved quickly and some slowly, some of which was with foreign enemies from other nations, and some was with his own family, like his son Absalom. David reflects on it all with the lesson to rest in the Lord and to fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in the way. Believers, this morning when we face earthly conflict and when we deal with evil men, we recognize first of all from the scripture that sinners are often prosperous. And now we are advised in Psalm 37 and also if you could go back to our text please in Proverbs 24 that saints must trust providence. In our text, there are two exhortations given to God's people. The first one is, in verse 19, fret not thyself. And as I've already indicated, that word means don't be angry. The Hebrew word fret means to grow warm, to blaze up in anger, to become incensed with jealousy. And I confess that if you had asked me a week and a bit ago what this word meant, I would have had a faulty understanding. If you had asked me, let's say, to draw someone who was fretting, I probably would have sketched uh, an old, no offense ladies, an old lady wringing her hands in despair. That's not what the word means. We are taught not to be anxious, but the word here means someone who is heated, someone who is angry. So fret not thyself means don't become enraged. When your enemy seems to have the upper hand or a better lot in life than you do, Don't respond with angry jealousy, but trust providence, trust God, rest in the Lord and his providential care over you. Let's go back to that example of North Korea. Kim Jong-un, the current supreme leader, his rule is marked by persecution and execution of Christians. Like his father, Kim Jong-il, and his grandfather, Kim Il-sung, he is a professed and an unrelenting enemy of the church of Jesus Christ. I was surprised, and you might be surprised to learn, that the first of these three wicked rulers, the current man's grandfather, Kim Il-sung, was actually raised in a professing Christian home. Kim Il-sung, who ruled over North Korea from its formation in 1948 until 1994, personally said that he was raised in a Presbyterian family, that his maternal grandfather was a Protestant minister. That his father went to a missionary school and was an elder in the Presbyterian church. 
and that his parents were very active in the religious community. I read this and I was absolutely shocked. He's not that unlike some of us in his beginnings. But events in his homeland, especially the Japanese evasion in 1910 and their occupation of Korea resulted in Kim Il-sung being exposed to Marxism to oppose the Japanese enemy. And so when he turned out the way he did, the dictator over a Stalinist republic, there would have been Christians, perhaps his former friends or family, think of the home he was brought up in, who then struggled not to be enraged at what he had become and at what he was doing and at his persecution of those who raised him. Of course they would be angry. You would too. And so would I. But the Bible says, fret not. We are exhorted to fret not thyself because of evil men. It's not easy to do this. Like all commands in scripture, the ability to obey is reliant, entirely reliant on the grace of God. Only by grace do we receive the faith to truly believe that all things work together for good to them who love God. Only true saving faith will be able to properly rest in the Lord and his care for us. But thank God it is able to do so. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of faith, works faith within us. And we are enabled to rest in the Lord even when we are grieved, even when we are sinned against most wickedly. There is a wonderful example in the Bible of a saint coming by faith to God to be delivered from fretting at a wicked person. Please turn back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in chapter 1 tells us of Hannah, one of the two wives of Elkanah, who was childless. And this fact was thrown up to Hannah time and time again by Elkanah's other wife called Peninnah. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 6, And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Hannah was being provoked by Peninnah. Peninnah seemed to be prospering, didn't she? In her position as wife and mother. And Hannah had to answer this question, as some of you may today. How am I going to deal with this situation? How am I going to handle this grieving and difficult and sorrowful situation? Let's look at verse 10. It says in verse 10, And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. We here see Hannah doing all that she could to lay her cares upon the one who cared for her. She sought to rest in the Lord, as Psalm 37 teaches. And on this occasion, Hannah was enabled to rest in the Lord as she laid her cares out before him in prayer, and she poured out her heart before the Lord, she received a token of encouragement. Look at verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. Hannah was enabled by faith to trust in the Lord, to lay her burdens upon him, to cease from her fretting and from perhaps her envy of Peninnah. And after she had met with the Lord and after she had prayed, she was given peace. Hannah experienced the reality of Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, which says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, 
whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Believer, that can be your reality this morning. You can experience a perfect peace simply by trusting in the Lord, whatever your circumstances may be. We're taught that saints must trust providence, not only when it says in Proverbs 24, fret not thyself because of evil men. We're also taught neither be thou envious. That word means to be sinfully jealous. Jealousy and envy are closely related, but envy is always sinful. And it's been pointed out that when we envy someone, what we're actually saying is that we think they are in a better position than we are. We demonstrate that in some way we want what that person has because we envy them. But when we envy a wicked or an evil person, we are making an error. Because God commands us here, be not envious, or rather, neither be thou envious at the wicked. What does a wicked man really have that should cause a Christian to be envious? As Spurgeon put it very vividly, who envies the fat bullock, the ribbons and garlands which decorate him as he is led to the slaughter? You see, no matter how attractive the life of an unbeliever may be, we shouldn't want to trade places with them. We must admit, all of us, that at times we've fallen into that trap. We've fallen into covetousness. We've fallen into being envious at the wicked and at the world. The psalmist admitted this in Psalm 73 and 3, which I'll read to you. It says, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist looked at the wicked men and how well he was doing. And he noticed as he went on to say, They have more than heart could wish. Maybe you've looked at someone, a neighbor or a friend or a family member, and you've seen how much they have and how well they seem to be doing, how well off they are. How free from cares and comforts they appear to be. And maybe you've envied them. Neither be envious at the wicked, Christian. Don't envy them. We shouldn't be envious or angry when wicked men prosper. In the psalmist's case, in Psalm 73, he had to be delivered from that that error by doing just what Hannah did. He says in verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God... Then I understood their end. He speaks of wicked people. He says, when I spent time with God and when I reflected on the truth of God's word and communed with God in prayer, then I understood the end of the wicked. And it is implied that there was an end to his envy and there was an end to his angry jealousy. Why? Because he saw properly the state and the future of wicked people. We shouldn't be angry or envious at wicked men around us, at prosperous sinners around us, but instead, by spending time in the word of God, in the truth of his word, our minds will be enlightened to see that wickedness and sin, however prosperous they may make a person for a few years, inevitably lead to a sad end, the end of the wicked. Which brings us to our third and final thought this morning. We need to recognize Heaven counsels us to recognize not only that sinners are often prosperous and that saints must trust providence, but the verse, our text this morning closes with this truth. Sin brings dark prospects. Sin brings dark prospects. It says in verse 20, For there shall be no reward to the evil man. 
The candle of the wicked shall be put out. This, Solomon says, is why we should not be angry or envious at sinners. The reward that's mentioned here, it's not money. It speaks of the future of the wicked man. That's what the word reward means. His future, his, his expectation. What the wicked man has to anticipate is nothing. He has nothing to look forward to. I often think this when I think of people who are not saved. I just think they have nothing to look forward to. Nothing further than the next weekend. We should pity them. Not envy them. But the believer who trusts in Jesus Christ enjoys the promise of an eternal inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. And sinner, may that be a warning to you because your prospects in this verse are described as the candle being put out. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in the New Testament, outer darkness, that's all the sinner has in front of him or her. All the evil men, all the wicked men who have enjoyed success in this life will see a sudden and irreversible exit from this scene of time that's pictured here by a candle being put out, snuffed out. Would you turn with me as we close back to Proverbs 13? Proverbs 13, please. We want to look at one verse here as we conclude our thoughts this morning. In the Bible times, if you needed a light in the house, or even it's taught that if you were going somewhere, if you needed a light, you would use a candle or a flaming torch. We see in Scripture time and time again the image of a little candle with a small flame at the tip of its wick. Proverbs 13 and verse 9 says... The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. At the end of the day, maybe you know this if you've ever had a par cut, when you extinguish the candle in the room, that little flickering light and the little bit of light that the room enjoyed, it's all gone. It's gone. It might have burned long. It may have burned brightly, but now it burns no more. And sin brings dark prospects. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Sinner, there is no hope beyond the grave for you. Your only hope is found in coming to Jesus Christ while you still have life. Your only hope is in coming to Jesus Christ now. Which is the accepted time and the day of salvation. And the only time of which you have any certainty but believer as we close let's be encouraged by this verse proverbs 13 and verse 9 because this verse and our text both imply that the light of the righteous man shall not be put out you see the light that believers enjoy is absolutely nothing to do with what we have of this world but it is all to do with christ christ is light he is eternal light. He is the light of the world and we are in him. We have received his light. We've heard the message of the gospel and the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has shined in our hearts. We've been called, believer, from darkness into light. And because of him, our prospects are bright. Because of our Savior, we will shine more and more unto the perfect day. And so, believer, this morning, though wicked men may prosper, though they may have it better than you, 
in physical terms, in financial terms, in whatever kind of terms are relevant to your experience, don't fret, don't envy them. Rather, rest in the Lord and be thankful that your eternal prospects are bright. And look forward by faith to what Jesus Christ promised his disciples. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. May God bless this message to all of our hearts. Let's just bow.